Welcome along then, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to episode 7 of the Former A-Zone podcast. Coming up today is our 2019 Paris E-Prix race review. My name is Toby. I'm a journalist for German Formula E page E-Formula-DE. Today filling in for Dan. We finally got rid of him on this show. <laughs> but he'll be back for future episodes. I promise. Joining me though, as usual, is the one and only editor-in-chief of Formula E Zone. It's Jack George Maynard. We've got plenty to talk about in this one. It's been a hectic race, absolute madness once again in Formula E. With a rain and hail affected race for the first time in the championship's history nonetheless. First of all though, hello Jack. How are you doing? You're, I am good my friend. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a shame Dan is not here. But me and Tobias, we, 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 were getting, we were close to having someone on. But we decided, you know what, Dan's not here, so we will hold the fort for him while he's away, okay? So it'll just be me and Tobias, you know, holding the flag for the Formula Rezone podcast, waving it as hard as we can and making it as the best as we can. So let's let's hope for a good one. Dan, you are missed. Jack, you've been to Paris. How has your trip been to Paris? Oh, the trip was lovely. Um, well, wet again, like where we were in Rome, we got wet again in Rome. But this time, actually, uh, when it rained, well, as people know, it did eventually did rain in the race. But we'll get onto that for the first time. But got extremely wet in the pit lane trying to find some interviews. The rain, it just came down. And I was like, man, my jacket was not waterproof. Well, it's waterproof to an extent. Yeah, which I don't understand. Like, how can a coat not be waterproof? But after so much heavy rain, the rain was actually seeping through my coat and my shoulders were drenched. And I was like, this is the worst coat in the history of coats. But <laughs> apart from that, <laughs> apart from that, it was OK. It was good. It was uh, it was a lovely time. Good catching up. Good catching up with the drivers. And yeah, lots to talk about. Lots to talk about, especially in this podcast. Shall we get just straight into the action then? Yeah. OK. So where do we start? Qualifying, obviously. I mean, not much happened in, in, in practice, really. I mean, we had well, rain, a few spins. as you said. A few spins, especially in free practice one. We had a lot of spins. People being caught out by, well, the poor group, the white lines. Um, we'll get onto that a bit later on in the race review as well. But apart from rain and FP1, couple of crashes, couple of spins, not really anything too interesting to talk about it was a bad start for envision virgin racing like you Ooh, had both yeah. frines and sam bird in the wall like Absolutely. it was a terrible start and then sam bird missed the whole of practice too so he was going into qualifying without actually doing a 250 kilowatt lap around the paris track so virgin racing were and frines didn't do many laps either in fp2 because they were basically just making sure from the damage that they fixed in fp1 so they were basically just making sure that the car was running okay. And Sam didn't get out at all. So basically both drivers, Franz did get a 250 kilowatt lap in, but it wasn't representative or quick in, in any regard. But um, yeah, out of all the teams that really struggled during practice, going into the race and qualifying, it was definitely virgin racing. That said though, in the final order in qualifying, we had a virgin car in the top five, Robin Fryens qualified in P4 out of all cars. So that's a pr pretty respectable result. 
But as you said, with uh, Sam Bird not having the experience of a 250 lap in the dry in FP2, uh, that meant he had to start right from the back. Not the back off the back, Marcus. He but started he 13th. He did qualify 15th, but then yeah. with some juicy post-qualifying penalties, he uh, started 13th. Which was respectable for Bird, because if you, when you think about it, you haven't done a 250 kilowatt lap. Then you stick it 13th, you're like, you still, you're in a position, yes, you're not in the point scoring positions, but he had a chance to then work his way through the field um, and try yeah. and actually score points in the race, so he gave himself an opportunity. Now, what's all this penalty stuff been about after qualifying? You said people moved up two spots, why did they? Well, well Mahindra Racing, poor old Mahindra Racing, so... <sighs> What had happened, We obviously, I'm going to talk about Jerome D'Ambrosio first before I get into it, because Jerome D'Ambrosio was in Group 1 in qualifying, and he made it out of Group 1 and actually made it into Super Pole, which I think is the first time what? that we've seen that. I know, it was crazy. It was a really good lap from D'Ambrosio, because you've got the others, you've got Mitch Evans, who backed the qualifying system on the Friday in the press conference, saying that it was probably the best qualifying system in Formula E. And then he starts P20, and I spoke to Evans after the race, and I was like, well, you know, do you still think it's a good qualifying system? You're in Group 1 for the second time, and, you know, you back the qualifying system, you were fastest, Mitch Evans was fastest in practice too, then he qualifies P20. Now, if you're normally, if you're fastest in a practice session, you'll, you'll be aiming for pole position, but you end up starting P20. So, but he still, to be fair to Mitch, he backed he backed the qualifying system, but back to Mahindra. So you had Jerome D'Ambrosio, who made it into Super Bowl, and also Pascal Verlein in the group qualifying session finished second. But then into Super Bowl, Verlein put in a stunning lap. It was an amazing lap. Literally, he nailed the circuit and put it on pole. But a couple of hours later, the dreaded... The dreaded, and I've got a really bad anecdote, which, uh, which is like it's not great, but I'll, go, I'll say it in two seconds. But so Verlon was on pole, but a tire pressure infringement from both drivers. They were um, under the minimum tire pressure by quite a way, uh, forced them both to get disqualified. Now I was in the pit lane, getting drenched from well, actually the rain had just stopped, <laughs> but I was feeling, I was feeling my shoulders were wet. I was, you know, and there's Dil Bad Gill. And I thought, I said, to, I said, I was looking at the skies and I wanted to find out, I was in the pit lane, trying to find out what team's weather radars were suggesting for the race. Because, you know, it was literally intermittent rain showers all day. Um, we had a massive downpour in the um, I-Pace race as well, which was about two o'clock. We had rain in the morning, um, which made FP1 wet. And then we got a little bit of rain before the race. Then it dried up and then it rained in the race. Okay, but... Dilbag Gill was there, and I, I put my hand out, I said, congratulations, Dilbag, and he went, what for? And I went, you know, there was that momentary pause that I did there, and then <laughs> I was like, you're on pole, right? He's like, no, Jack, we've just been disqualified, and he sort of told me the reasons, and then he sort of, that was quickly the end of the conversation. I did ask him about the rain, he looked at the rain, he said, yeah, he was expecting a bit more of it, but... um so I got his weather radar that they were expecting rain, but he, that, that conversation, Dilbag's normally such a nice guy to talk to, but that conversation quickly ended, let me tell you. that, mm. um, And I, I, I solemnly made my way back to the media centre to realise, okay, I've got a story to write, and I've just, while trying to get <laughs> stories, another story has emerged, which you don't expect. So another crazy world of Formerie. Um, so that meant Mahindra drivers had to start from the back. 
So, a challenging one for them. That's right, P21 and P22. I mean, shall we just briefly talk about why teams opt for lower tyre pressures? Because Go for it. that really does give give an advantage, especially on, on tight, twisty street circuits. So, yeah. generally in fast corners, less tyre pressure obviously means that the tyres deform more, and in corners they provide you with more grip, which obviously is great on a hot qualifying lap. Of course, on a straight, that means more rolling resistance, and that means more energy consumption and less top speed and all of that. But you have a clear advantage with less tyre pressure in the corners, and that's why teams always opt for low tyre pressures in motorsports. And but there's, al- there's a minimum as well. Th- there is, yeah. And teams, Sorry, go on. Te- teams generally underfill their tyres in terms of terms of air, and then drivers have to be really aggressive on their inlap, and that's what Mahindra was building upon. They put less air into the tyres of both their drivers so that they have an advantage with more grip on their qualifying run, and then the drivers were supposed to be aggressive on their inlap to heat up the tyres, and especially heat up the air in the tyres, and as we all know, hot air expands, that's why hot air balloons float and fly, and uh, the tyre pressure then increases. So that's the general idea of having low tyre pressures, get the drivers out on track, have them do their lap with low tyre pressures and more grip, and then a really aggressive in-lap, and arrive at the pits with high tyre pressures when they're measured, and that's just the general idea. Yeah, they're always trying to get that sort of advantage by running as low as possible and then trying to heat up so there's actually more air in the tyre after they've done their lap when it's measured. But there's a reason, so there's a minimum, of course, and mainly that minimum is just to ensure that tyre doesn't deform. Um, So obviously Michelin will decide what the minimum tyre pressure should be for that track, so that means every team should adhere to those tyre pressure limits. And if you're under it, then there's obviously, Michelin will say there's a higher chance of that tyre prematurely like deforming, having a higher wear rate, overheating, um, tread separation, which can cause, and obviously we're using sort of very road-like tyres, um, so that can cause a quite a big accident. So it's there for safety for the main reason. That's why Michelin put those minimum tyre pressures there. But, you know, I think every Formula E team are trying to um, break the rules or bend the rules to try and see how much they could get away with because it is a big advantage if you if you get it right absolutely yeah and i mean mahindra was caught out in paris and i saw a lot of people complaining about it it's always formula e where the pro sitter is disqualified after qualifying and i get the point there of criticism i get it but in the end of the day it's just the rules and teams have to adhere to what Michelin is saying. Yeah, and yeah. I was—it was interesting. I was in the media center and I was talking to a journalist friend of mine, and um, we were discussing. Like, I was saying the same thing as those fans who were complaining. Oh, it's always Formula E, and it's like, ah, oh, because you know it's going to come. Hmm. You know you're going to yeah. get those social media tweets about ah oh, Formula E post race penalties can never you never see this in Formula One, and then the journalist I was sitting next to was like, well, that's because it's a one day format. Exactly, because yeah. everything's rushed and it's in a one-day format, the chances of making a mistake like that is higher than if you're doing it in practice on Friday, qualifying Saturday, race Sunday, or practice Saturday or race Sunday. 
and qualifying Sunday. So you've got more time to sort of get to grips with um, what to expect from the day. But because we do everything in one day and everything's so compact, I think sometimes that catches out teams. And sometimes teams might do something by mistake. And just from the stresses of the day, especially if there's been an accident, sometimes you've seen... You know, I think, uh, like, something's gone wrong in practice and they've put something wrong on the car. They've done something wrong by mistake to get the car ready for the next session. Therefore, the car gets penalised through something like that, which I think we've seen on quite a few occasions. So, yeah, people are right to say, yes, it is Formula E and, you know, it's always happening. And to be fair, it hasn't happened for a while, um, like, where the pole sitter has been relegated from... Santiago. uh, yeah, it's been it's been a few races, two months. so which has been good good for form which has Wait. been good for Formula E. But yeah, we obviously we don't want it every race. I think it's just un- unfortunate. But I suppose if you're going to have those low tire pressures, then you're going to get that significant advantage. So it made sense, really. Sadly, I know Pascal put in a brilliant lap, but it sort of made sense why he was on pole, and it could also make sense of why Jerome D'Ambrosio got out of Group One and got into Super Pole. Like, yeah. it's sort of. Sadly, it puts the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together that we thought, wow, that was stunning. And then all of a sudden it sort of comes out and goes, oh, that makes sense now in a sense. It's just, it was a shame for Mahindra Racing. Do you know what I started to think about as a journalist and especially in the fast living and fast moving world of motorsport and generally sports journalism? I started to think about preparing like dummy articles about the pole sitter being disqualified oh, and just having do that. and just having variables and then fill in the name I mean have the heading X has been disqualified from qualifying or Y is not now in pole position yeah. and then just fill in the variables that's what I s- yeah. it's come this far that I've started to think about doing that it's a general it's, it's a common know, practice yeah um, in in newspapers, I think there was once upon a time, um, newspapers would re-release two covers, two different articles, completely different articles. So say like if, if, if in football, for example, uh, in a late game, for example, in the evening, and the newspapers got to go to publish, they will have a X team one and Y team one, yeah, and then ready, and then they just fill in the bits of what's happened in the in the in the game and it's sent straight to publish so it is it sadly is a really it has been quite a common practice i have seen it before or talked about it before i haven't actually seen it but i've heard people actually try and you know be in that situation where they need to get something out or prepare something just in case x happens yeah so it does happen I've heard so about newspapers. It's, it's, it's yeah. funny that you're. It's funny that you're actually you're thinking that way now because it's true. It's like we were we were talking about when we get to the race and we're talking about after the race and obviously it was a chaotic race and we were like, do we wait? Is this race the final result? Like we were waiting tender hooks for some post race penalties to be dished out. Um, thankfully there wasn't any severe that impacted the result of the race, but there were some post race penalties given out, but didn't impact the result. Um, which was quite good. Um, but we were expecting post-race penalties to impact the results, so we were like, well, we'll say Franz has won, or, you know, who's won, but we'll sort of, like, hold back, make sure we're here to hear the news from the FIA. So, yeah, even... I don't think you're the only journalist thinking that way. I've heard about newspapers even planning obituaries for, like, people Oh, that's true, away. that's been done. 
Yeah. I'm when I was out. in when I was in uni, um, there some, a journalist had died. Hmm. I think it was an old journalist. She had died from old age, um, <laughs> but yeah. she had written an obituary about someone who then died after she had died, and obviously the article went out. It was published with her name, but so Ooh. she technically wrote that article Ooh. from the grave, but she hadn't. Oh, that's yeah. Bad. It had been planned from so long. This person's obituary. And then, but the person died after the reporter died. Ooh. So therefore, yeah. So that again is is common practice um, that it's been done. Um, but I mean, but yeah, the, you get crazy I mean, stories like that. Credit where it's due. I mean, it's her intellectual property, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so why would you change the name? Oh God, so, that's bad. Oh God, Jesus. Yeah, but it's just, it's just that <laughs> they plan, they just plan it. It's just, it's just, it's mind-boggling to think of. I know it's really not formal rebase right now, but at the same time, <laughs> it's still interesting, right? Absolutely. Just to think yeah. about it. But in terms of formal rebase, that's how we're thinking. We're just thinking like you might, you need something ready just in case that happens because there's such a high likelihood of that happening. That we might as well prepare for that that inevitability. We should open up a new podcast about sports journalism and talk about yeah. these sorts of things on that one. Shall we just move back to to formerly maybe then, and yeah. keep the idea of the of the sports journalism podcast in mind for another day? Uh, because after the we still haven't talked about the final starting order. We've s we've talked about Mahindra getting penalised and started from P twenty one and P twenty two. But we had a new pole sitter, and uh, this man's name was Oliver Rowland, all of a sudden. Alongside him, his teammate, Sebastian Buemi. Nissan locking out the front row. Which was the first uh, front row lockout for a team since Neo in Hong Kong in Season 3, where Nelson Piquet Jr. was on pole alongside Oliver Turvey. So it's wow. been a long time, two seasons, or a season and a bit, between... A front row lockout, so that was a while since we saw one of those. Has it been Nelson's last pole position as well? Um, more than likely, because he didn't get a pole position for Nelson. Before, and that was the only <laughs> pole. That yeah. was the first race for Neo, and it went backwards. Like, we all thought, wow, Neo could win this championship after season one. Front row lockout. Never seen that before in two seasons of Formula E. And then they went completely south in, in season three. So and And Jaguar... Haven't haven't got a pole. Well, Peke definitely hasn't got a pole under. That's um, that's right. Yeah. Under Jaguar when he was there, so that would have been his last pole position in season three Hong Kong. Probably, yeah. So I think that was his first pole position as well. But anyway, because I don't think he got a pole position in his championship winning year. Oof. Don't think he did. Oof. But anyway, moving on. Enough yeah. Nelson Piquet Jr. <laughs> he's not a Formula E driver anymore. Yeah, he's not. He's not what in it anymore. About, like, what's what's going on? Formula E's own podcast has turned into a historic Formula E and <laughs> random random anecdotes from sports journalism uh, articles. It's been it's been fun though, but it's interesting. But at the same time, let, let's get let's get into the let's get into the race. Yes, and we had another rain shower before the race, as you said earlier. And that meant we had to start behind the safety car. And everyone, uh, the drivers learned about it three minutes in advance. We learned it about it three minutes before the race started. The reason for the safety car start is that the sun dried up the left-hand side of the start straight. It's yeah, not really it was the undercover main straight, by trees. Yeah. 
and the right hand side was covered by trees and so the track was wet on the right hand side and dry on the left hand side and the race director that's the first time i've heard about this reasoning the race director said it's unfair and i mean i've never heard about a race director arguing usually race directors say that's not safe but now but the I like that he said it was unfair because it made sense. It made sense because it was unfair. Absolutely, like you couldn't yeah. have everyone on that side of the grid where it was wet is going to get hampered. They're going to get such a worse start, and you're going to see everyone on the dry side just steam past them. And you're just like, well, that's a random start, isn't it? And you're just like, well, what's the point in qualifying B? I think second would have started on the wet side, so you qualify P two, and then you get into the first corner and you're in sixth place because third, fourth. Third, fifth, and eighth have gone past you because it was dry, and you're you're too busy slipping and sliding till you get to the drive section. So I think it was the right call to start behind a safety car um, in that situation because yeah, we had the rain shower and the track hadn't fully dried. One was in the sun, one wasn't in the sun. So obviously, the one in the sun is going to dry first. It was common common logic, and it was good to see some common logic actually used um, in Formula E. I'm not saying it's not <laughs> really used common logic, but you know it can be questionable from time to time but i think there was some good common sense used and i think it was good it was it was a shame we didn't have that normal start but yeah it was a bit of an anti yeah but i think right decision was made i was surprised actually that the time hadn't started i don't know if you the time for the race hadn't started until the safety car peered in and i thought oh but they're gonna they're obviously even though they're under safety car conditions they're still using energy like energy is going down that was my thought as well, yeah. So I was like, "How? why haven't they started... Once they'd gone past where they were supposed to start, I was surprised that the time didn't start. It didn't start. They basically did an extra lap um, of that race under safety car conditions. Obviously, yes, yeah. you could say energy consumption is reduced by 50%, but that's still energy something that they'd have to then regain in a 45-minute race than they would have started with. So obviously that would have caused for right, a little yeah. bit more energy management in the race. And usually this is what happens behind the sa- with the safety car start. Yeah. Think about other motorsport series. As soon as the safety car leaves the grid, lap one is on. Without yeah, a on, in an aborted start. Like basically it was something yeah. similar that we had. We basically had an aborted start due to the track grid not being safe. So that counts towards a lap. So you'd, like in Formula One, like if it was Albert Park, it becomes from a 58 lap race, it becomes a 57 lap race because they're using fuel on that lap to that round right, the safety yeah. car. So it's unfair to do a 58 lap race once you've done an aborted start. It's been like that in Formula One for years. Um, so I just found it really interesting that the time actually hadn't started. Do you know what I would have liked to see, like to have seen? An IndyCar start. It's a bit uh, difficult two to by explain two. to the drivers within three minutes, but a two-by-two two start, maybe just pop in the full-course yellow limiter and then have the race director count And then down. go green, 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 full green, green. yellow ending. <laughs> yeah, like ELMS do, do these kinds of starts. And IndyCar do these kinds of starts. DTM does these. And, I mean, have the drivers go two-by-two two at 50 kilometers an hour and then the like race director counts down well. or just the 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 yeah exactly the the Le Mans start and then the start lights switch to green and off we go i think it would have been difficult though i think that, that would be a nice yeah. addition in maybe after a safety car restart to do it like that 
But um, I think because it's obviously track yeah. was wet, so obviously someone's still going to probably be on the wetter side on that two by two. So that is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you think of it that way, but yeah, it sounds. It does sound cool when when you watch other racing series and they line two by two. You know something, even though something you know you're not expecting a crash to happen or something dramatic to happen, but it builds up that tension that something's about to just go. Yeah, and probably yeah, the idea having of having a race start a two by two race start probably isn't the best idea. But for safety car restarts, how about having two by two Indy car safety car restarts for season six? <sighs> We're living the dream Happy. here. As again, as again, oh. as we said in the last podcast, Formula E, pay us. We're <laughs> we're here. We've got the ideas. We've got the brain. <laughs> just we can make this series, like just in, it's already incredible. We can make it like just mind blowing. Like oh, imagine, oh. imagine. But so let's just talk about let's just talk about the race because obviously we got underway under safety car. Safety car pulled in after one lap, and then it wasn't really long to buy us. Until we saw our first incident, and I bet you you didn't expect Oliver Rowland, who was obviously pole leading man, had the chance to control the race. Oliver Rowland, who's not put a foot wrong in this championship, puts a foot wrong. At I think it was he locked up at T10, so turn 10. It was a real the tight right hander where they peer in just before they come back round towards the pit exit. Uh, it's a really tough tight, and he just locked up and went straight into the wall and. I'm sure you weren't expecting it. I wasn't. No, it was. It was a weird incident, wasn't it? It reminded me of Sebastian Buemi losing the lead in Santiago. Yeah. With the twin MGU setup playing a role there, might have something to do with technical stuff going on in the rear of his car. Yeah. Might have done. Might have something to do with a driver error. I don't know, but. It's it's been a weird incident, but hindsight in hindsight we can't change anything. Yeah, the thing is, Ollie lost the lead and rejoined the race technically last. Yeah, not too much damage to his car. But he lost his front wing. Last. I think. Did he lose all of it? Yeah. I think he had an incident later on where he also damaged. Yeah, because they changed his front wing after that, and then he got into another incident, and it was like. Are you just like, you know what, I'm not coming back in. I'm just going to drive the rest of the race without <laughs> this front wing and see what happens. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the most uh, spectacular race for Roland. I was speaking to another journalist, actually, another German journalist, um, actually, in in the race. And they were talking, because obviously there's a lot of controversial things going on about the Nissan Edan's powertrain with the twin motor setup. And it's, we're now in round eight. And according to him, he said, he told me that Teams are ready to protest Nissan's a twin motor system, and uh, but you know I made the argument that you know these cars have already been homologated, they've already been cleared by the FIA, so they should be legal, in a sense. Like you can't start protesting a team because they're doing something like it's been homologated by the FIA, so they've said it's okay. But apparently, if they would have won in Paris, I don't know what teams, but there would have been a few teams that would have tried to protest. The race result stating that because of Nissan's twin um, motor unit, power unit, sorry, um, they would have protested it and seen what would have happened, um, which is really interesting because I feel like it's strange that they're waiting for them to win 
to do the thing. And you can't you can't protest them if they win in New York. You can't protest them at the last race of the season. That's just ridiculous. And that's what I was trying to make. It's like it's too long. They should have if they wanted to protest their powertrain, they should have protested it ages ago. Like you can't just wait for them to win. If they if they win the last race of the season and you protest it, I think that's the most ridiculous thing you could possibly do. I agree, yeah. I love these political stories in motorsports. Yeah. It makes no sense. And the Nissan Twin MGU is such a political story. Or it's it's developed into such a political story. It started out as, out as a technical goodie, really. Yeah. Not much more than a nice little tech story. And now we have all manufacturers protesting and lobbying against the Nissan powertrain um, and they're lobbying for ruling it out for season 7 because obviously development for, for next year has already begun and yeah so they're all the going to develop it for season 6 and then they're all going to ban it it's just hilarious isn't it when you think about it like, okay um, we've seen what you've done there Nissan we've seen it okay we don't like it we're going to do it for one season because we can see the advantage you're getting from it. Because they are. Because all drivers, when you speak to drivers and they're behind a Nissan car, they can't keep up with it coming they out of a corner. They just pull away. They can't keep yeah. up with it coming out of a corner. They just say it just bolts. And it, it, it's just gone. And that advantage of trying to stay with them and trying to overtake them, it's, it's so difficult. But it's just it's, it's amazing that, okay, we're going to run that twin motor system or something similar to give us that boost. But then, obviously, season seven, we're going to say, ah, we shouldn't do that. It's just like a, it's just then a waste of investment, if that makes sense. But again, yeah, but it's like they've I for me for me they've yeah. waited too long to protest. Like we're going into it's five races of the season left. Yeah, four locations, and um, uh, five races because New York is a double header. So it's too late. Like if you protest it, if they if they even if they were in Monaco, like it's still for me too late to protest their powertrain. Like you should have done it much earlier in the season like Marrakesh time or Santiago not towards the back end of the season thing is the story only really surfaced after Santiago I think it was after Sanyo it became they... big that the teams yeah. more teams are starting to lobbying against it maybe early rumours of the tech stuff sort of came out by Santiago but um, Sanyo was apparently when the story became became big We'll keep that in mind for the next couple of races and we'll always keep an eye open for Nissan's powertrain. I don't think other teams are going to follow suit for next year because as well as Nissan, they've already started developing their Season 6 powertrain. And I'm not, I'm not really sure if... Well, they've got the option quote to. Unquote, they've got the option small to. They wanted to run yeah, something sure, similar. Yeah. Like they're not going to ban it. They're going to ban it for Season 7 and they've got the option to run it in Season 6. Okay, but it's interesting. But I think what we should do is we'd, um, we should move along. Roland then fell down to the back, and then Sebastian Bowemi took the lead of the race. And Robin Freund was promoted to second from the incident. And Freund looked super quick behind Bowemi, you have to admit. And Freund knew this, and he went into attack mode first. And even under attack mode now, Paris is an extremely difficult track to get past. But he, on the first lap with attack mode, Freund got close but couldn't really get pass but then coming into turn nine just before the activation zone but Wamey sort of he went wide and Frines and now for me you've gone into attack mode 
So for me, I think for Robin, I feel like he should have been a bit more careful here. Because he stuck his nose in down the inside of turn 9 where Bohemi has left a gap. But obviously, Franz is in attack mode. Bohemi wants to take attack mode. So by Franz putting his front wing in there, in, in like in the corner essentially, and Bohemi always going to cut across, there was always going to be contact there, in my opinion. Always, and that's what happened, Bohemi. There was not, it wasn't a massive amount of contact, it was just like a brush, but it was enough to damage Robin Fryn's front wing. But crucially, it was also enough to give Sebastian Bohemi a slow puncture, okay, which then caused Bohemi to slow down and eventually get passed by Fryn's. And Bohemi had to go into pits to change the tyre. Now, my version, I just sort of said that there, Tobias. My version is that I felt like I'm not saying Franz is at fault because Bohemi didn't have to take attack mode, but I'm just thinking maybe Franz should have been thinking that Bohemi was going to take attack mode. How did you see the situation? I agree. Franz has been really lucky not to be penalised in that kind of situation. Of course, it's at the right at the border between a racing incident and Robin. You shouldn't have had your car in this this kind of position. It's a tough call, and it's not been the cleanest of situations. That's that's sure for for certain. But <sighs> for for me, like I spoke to Robin after Difficult the race. I spoke call. to Robin after the race, and he said, "Well, for me, for him, obviously not for me, but for him, um, it was a poor place to put the attack mode because you know Absolutely you're yeah. everyone's switching to the outside. So if you are trying to go and move, and you want to go attack mode, you're like." You have to expect, you have to prepare for them to cut in, which Franz sort of admitted that he wasn't really prepared for Bohemi, or didn't think that he would cut across. Because he made that mistake, and because he put the front wing in, I think Franz was hoping he'd seen him and had to continue for another lap without attack mode. Because he, Bohemi did make the mistake. Like, in a normal situation, in a normal racing without any attack mode, I don't think there would have been a collision. They wouldn't have touched. Because Bohemi would have driven straight, Franz would have sort of turned in more sharply but would have been on sort of the inside maybe alongside his wheel I don't think they would have touched I think they only touch because Bohemi is going into that attack mode and sort of cuts across that front wing but because Franz put it there you know and he sort of may, maybe sort of as maybe Racing Driver and say he gave Bohemi the choice to either hit him to go into attack mode or not take attack mode um, for me it's definitely I wouldn't say it's Franz's fault I think maybe Franz could have been a bit more aware of the situation and maybe think, oh, he's going to go into attack mode because I'm in attack mode. Like, they're going to be on the radio telling him to cover what I've just done. Like, it's just common sense. Um, but I suppose in the heat of the battle, when you're driving the car, you see a mistake, you stick your nose in, right? So I don't blame Franz. That's right, yeah. I don't blame as well, yeah. And the interesting thing is that they moved the attack zone just days before the race. It was supposed to be a little more down the straight. 30 meters more down the straight yeah. and w that would have changed the entire setup of, of that particular corner because Definitely. had it been the attack zone layout um, as it was announced a couple of weeks in advance to the race drivers would have taken a normal, normal line through turn 10 and then moved over to the right hand side technically lose no no time whatsoever and only have the advantage of the extra 25 kilowatts yeah. 
and uh, well they moved it so drivers had to take another line through that corner and that led to that situation do you know what also is interesting the story about the slow puncture yes do you know what particular part of of the tire robin ruptured with his nose cone he made contact with the right wheel right rear wheel obviously and he hit Bohemi at the exact place where the valve was for 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 the air to come oh, in. Oh wow! There we go again. Yeah, and he he damaged the valve stem and bent it, and that meant that the air slowly crept out of the tire, and uh, that led to Bohemi retire or not retiring, but having to change his tires yeah. three laps afterwards. It's so interesting what are the you could chances say, of you could say because Sam Bird yeah. obviously punctured Lotterer's tire in where was it Hong Kong Hong Kong Hong Kong um, and Sam got a penalty for it um, post race because obviously Lotterer was in the lead obviously it was a different sort of move it's hard to compare you know apples and oranges you could say because yeah. um, it was a slightly you different move but no. it was the same result like and yes it was a different move but there was the same outcome both drivers got a puncture. And Sam was penalised in that race, but Robin in and but Robin wasn't. Um, so you could say there was, you know, considering the outcome, there was a different. Um, there was it could have been the same penalty, but I I still believe Frines didn't deserve a penalty. But it was you know it was close. It was the you, you know we're debating it, it now, close, yeah. so it's debatable. Yeah, I think it's it's been the right decision not to penalise him. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, maybe one or two people, maybe some cynics out there might say, hey, um, you know, Sam got a penalty, so why, why hasn't Frines? And you know what this, all, all of that also meant? That we had a third leader of, of the play. Yeah. We had Roland, he bottled it on lap one. Buemi had to pit with the with the slow puncture also was caught for over speeding in the pit lane they had to do another drive through penalty for that by the way and then robin Freins took the lead and it's a third different lead change it was pretty pretty good but i suppose it wasn't due to normal overtaking so it was a bit like that stat when roland crashed there's been 21 overtakes in this epri i was like yeah because roland's gone from first to last so technically there's been none yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought the same, yeah. Yeah, and all of that happened before we even had the first drop of rain, and that was the biggest talking point of, of the race. We didn't even talk about the weather. I mean, we I technically talked about the weather, but not about the weather in the context of, of, of the race. Of the race. First time, first time in five seasons. It's taken us five Finally. seasons. We've been close. Like, you could say we've had some races with rain or damp starts, but there's n the rain, the heavens have not opened during a Formula E race. Or the heavens haven't been raining at the start of a Formula E race. So, to me, those tracks that started damp weren't really wet Formula E races because it wasn't raining. Yeah, it, had, it had already rained. It was just drying. We were starting on a damp circuit. We finally got a wet circuit. And... Boy, did it create some um, chaos. Oh, absolutely. I think... Did you walk through Parf Park Fermi after the race? 
I didn't Whether walk the park more than... But I can imagine there was a lot. Okay. Because didn't, I didn't leave the media centre until like 8 o'clock at night because we were all waiting to see if anything was happening. And the final classification was hmm. it was about 8 o'clock at night when it was confirmed and it was just confirmed with three post-race penalties that would be in effect for Monaco, not the not the race itself. But we were all waiting. So by the time it was 8 o'clock, I was, I was straight out there to the hotel like, to sleep, like... Um, so <laughs> I didn't go to the post, but I reckon by that time, eight o'clock at night, cars would have already been started and been packed away and start worked on to be found back in the pits. Um, at that, that time, is true, yeah. but um, but yeah, it was interesting because we had we had quite a few. Well, we had the first, obviously, the rain came and it was heavy, like it was proper heavy. Like we've seen rain in Formula E, we've seen rain in testing back in Donington, we saw rain, and we've seen rain in Valencia, in Valencia, I think, yeah, Valencia had a bit of rain. Um, we had Hong Kong shakedown them, sessions. We've had practice sessions that yeah. were wet. But this, but New I, York shakedown. Oh, yeah, wow. that was that. wet. Season three. Um, but this was the first time when the heavens did open. It was, if you were to say, it wasn't intermediate running. It was full wet weather running. So it was Monza. It was tire, yeah. a real test for the all weather tires, and um, and you know, but there was the sort of. The problem that occurred, which is not race directions fault at all, I think they initially they they threw the force course yellow for the rain because it was raining. But you know, I was in that situation it was like, well, you either red flag it and wait for it to pass, or you put the safety car out, or you stop the race. You don't just run under a full course yellow because that's that's like it's you know pick one. You either stop the race because it's unsafe. How many course yellows did we see in the end? Three or four four-course yellows? I think there was there was one for the rain. Three. Three, three. yeah. I thought so too, yeah. Um, there was three, so we had three four-course yellows in the course of just the second half of the race and one safety car period. And one safety A car period. A brief one, but one safety car. That's how chaotic it got with the rain. But it's not... I wouldn't say that's just... I think it's just the nature of street tracks. The nature of... It's now easier to make a mistake. Like, it looked comical... When I was watching it, I was like, oh, not another spin. Oh, not another <laughs> crash. Yeah. Not another one. Yeah. yeah. And if you, you're like, oh, please don't. Please don't. No more crashes. Like, please just keep it on the track. But you've got, you forget. You really do. You forget how hard Formula E is. And you forget the tracks have got these bumps in them. You forget the walls are just there. You forget that these cars are, especially with the brake-by-wire system, it's incredibly, it's much, like, harder to, you know, get it right on the braking um it, the drivers prefer to brake by a wire system because it's easier to manage but it's also it's it's easier you're more prone to locking up which i think maybe we saw with some of the um with the the incidents um that occurred and obviously when you've got street circuits and you've got walls you're not going to get punished by running off into to runoff areas you're going to hit a wall um which we saw but the interesting thing about full course speaking to the drivers after the race was that because it was cold, it was cold in Paris, it was like 13, 14 degrees, uh, you know, outside ambient temperature, track temperature would have been around the same, if not lower. Um, and because they were struggling to get heat into the tyres, and especially when it's raining, the track temperature cools, the tyres cool, uh, and grip goes away. Um, so that was the other sort of thing, and they said that the full first full course shadow for the rain, they were running okay, actually. Like, I spoke to Evans, Frines, the gr- app, 
you know, they were running okay. They were they had temperature in the tires, but when that first full course yellow, the tire temperatures dropped. So when it went green, it, they said that's when it became like driving on ice while they were trying to get those tire temperatures up. And that's where we saw the first sort of the first sort of collisions, which if you want I've talked for a bit, mate, you can you can explain. I don't even know where to start. I think we'll start with start with Sam Bird and Jerome D'Ambrosio leaving to um, Roland. <laughs> this is where Roland decided to lose his front wing once again after changing it. <laughs> um, so we had Bird lock up, sort of minor aquaplane sort of lock up. He went wide. He was sort of safe, but he didn't know D'Ambrosio was behind him, who had completely gone in far too quickly, sort of slammed, slammed into him, sent him spinning. And then all of a sudden, just after that, Oli Roland comes steaming in again, and then poor old Alexander Sims, minding his own business, just gets smacked and walloped Dunked into the wall. It, yeah. And and we had, all of a sudden we had a. It looked worse than it was, but we had basically two car incident, uh, two separate two separate incidents involving yeah. two cars that happened at the same corner at the same time. So it made it look worse than maybe what it actually was. I'd like to know if anything major happened to. Alex Sims's powertrain because the impact was big and I mean big and usually that I mean not usually but potentially this could lead to gearbox damage floor damage um, transmission damage that's not too uh, I mean it's related to the gearbox obviously if the drive shaft breaks that's not a problem but anything could theoretically breaking that with that sort of impact i'd like to know if if anything happened there yeah we'll find we'll find out in, in monaco, monaco probably yeah. yes but obviously that incident brought out another four course yellow so the tire temperatures drop again and but this time the yeah. rain at that point was starting to stop which was good so they saw they the worst of the weather had gone through that's at that time so that was good um, for the race anyway, and the track was starting to dry, but then we still saw incidents despite the track, the rain stopping. That's the nature of street circuits, isn't yep. it? We had a lot of white lines, a bit of undulation around Paris as well. That doesn't really come across in the TV pictures, but the area around turns, uh, let me think, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that has a lot of undulation actually. And the same yeah, it does. It's so it's basically uphill then downhill in terms of the first turn after the starter light. So that's turn two to turn three. It all goes up and down. Yeah, and then the corner right before the attack zone also has a little kink, and a small hill, and uh, that. It's just enough to one set these cars. Yeah, and then at zebra crossings to that, and different kinds of tarmac we had the new tarmac obviously in in the second sector with the historic cobblestones and then probably always adds a, a protective layer onto these cobblestones and then put asphalt on it fresh asphalt that has a different grip level compared to usual street asphalt yes manhole covers playing a role there and especially in the braking zones yeah. i think in i mean at least last year we had nine different nine different v tarmac versions <laughs> going into turn three and um yeah that 
that's the nature of street circuits obviously but that really made things interesting and difficult at the same time for the drivers it's because we had a few didn't we but then we had some that weren't really um weather related because obviously we had massa spinning that was sort of weather related it was still slippery back turn two where he just lost it by himself but then we had tur uh we had turvy hitting massa which was sort of weather related as well back at turn three where the incident happened um with sims uh d'ambrosio bird and and roland um but we had one that brought out the third and final sort of four course yellow sort of like safety car period when mortara decided to completely just go into the back of alex lynn trying to go for a move that wasn't on and poor alex lynn who's what trying to finish move. and trying to just do a race without any incident since joining after nelson Piquet left was just clobbered hmm. into the wall um and yeah not much really alex could have done how did you see this situation just a silly move all of that happened in turn 13 so the penultimate corner on the circuit the left-hander before the long sweeping right-hander before the finish line that's where it all happened yeah so and it was the I final mean, two so i think the corner, corner numbers were so it was the turn 13 sort of chicane where it goes round parts of part finish line into turn 14 and cross the finish line um so of the 14 because yeah, it's a 14 right. so, so just before the pit exit that that was that um that collision was but it was just silly from Mortara. the move was never on and yeah never never ever was the move on uh, yeah i have he, no he, idea what he was thinking in that situation and he was handed a free place grid penalty for monaco for it um but we'll get yeah, on to right the other so. two in a minute because i think what we should do uh, but let's just before we go before we move on to the sort of the race result um tires i felt the uh, to be honest with you well, i know we talked about them getting cold but i felt like the all-weather michelin tires did a fairly decent job in that in that rain like they were really tested for the first time at full racing speed um you know no precautionary stuff in a shakedown session no reduced power you know while while running in the wet so i felt like they did a decent job they did yeah i mean we've i'm sure we've seen it before in race power modes in adiria for example the, the season opening race We've had wet practice and qualifying there where people have been also going around at 200 and 225 and 250 kilowatts. So the power modes available in Formula E. We've seen the Michelin tyres work in the wet before, but they've proven to be really reliable in the wet once again. And um, yeah, I'm, I agree. They did a great job with the tyre. And uh, the first test was passed with no problems whatsoever yeah because as as we said like to, for france of us you can disagree with us if you want feel free um but at the same time i felt like the the incidents that we had were probably compounded by street circuits like if it was in monaco for example monaco formula one for example you could see it like if it was heavy rain we do see drivers crash at the nouvelle chicane and to back and and you know things can happen it's a street circuit there's a wall there if you make a mistake and it's compounded in the wet in 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 wet running so i don't think you can blame the tires too much and i think they they held up pretty well but moving on then to the race now Frines and lotter despite Frines having that front wing damage Frines and lotter really were in a class of their own um but it was robin Frines then who was able as i sort of i sort of 
I know we get to this point in the podcast where we reveal the race winner, but we already all know the race winner at the same time. And I sort of did accidentally say Franz won the, won the race earlier in the podcast, which was like, oh no, but really and truly it doesn't matter. So Franz, he was able to take his maiden victory on King's Day, which is a big holiday in in Holland. And he now with that victory, can you believe it? I don't think anyone going into Paris would have said Robin Frines would be... No disrespect to Robin, like, he's a fantastic race driver. I don't mean that in any, like, harsh way. But I don't think we would have thought Robin Frines would be coming away from this race leading the Drivers' Championship. That is right, yeah. And also, Andre Lottera being just one point behind him and not having a race win at this stage. I had someone say he might win the championship without winning a single race. I think Andre's win will come, but he's on that he's on it that will. route, isn't he? He's definitely on that route to to winning a race without to, sorry, to winning the championship because he's the most consistent driver at the moment. He really is. Although he had two occasions in, on which he didn't score any points, Santiago where it was in no man's land and then had the incident with Felix da Costa and his teammate John Eric Verne and then Hong Kong which was a disaster for him um, obviously with the with the tyre cutting incident and Sam Bird should have won the race and then the disastrous end to that one Yeah. and um, now it's his I think only his second podium this year however Good top 10 and top 5 results beforehand mean he's up to 80 points in the Drivers' Championship now. Fryans has 81 to his name. And, I mean, even after 8 races... No, yes, after 8 races uh, in in this season, anything is still up for grabs. Yep, 8 races. Who got 3rd in Paris? German Daniel Abt in P3 taking 15 points away for Audi his teammate Lucas de Grassi finishing 4th taking another 12 points away for Audi these guys have finally found the pace and are a close match to the Envision Virgin crew finally at this stage they've been absolutely dominated by their customer team in the previous rounds and now Audi finally found their pace and is now only trading their customer team by six points in the championship. Well, driver of the day then. Driver of the day. Hmm. Now, this is quite a difficult one to be honest with you because it was such a crazy race. Tobias, I'm going to open it up to you. I'm going to take, I'll, I'll take the short straw on trying to think of maybe someone else. But who would you say your driver of the day was? I'd say my driver of the day is Andre Lotterer. We haven't really talked too much about him today, but he started the race after qualifying in P8. Um, Started the race from from P6 because of the two penalties for Mahindra. Started the race from P6 and then made the best use of all these weird conditions and people retiring all around him plowed through the field and ended up in second challenging friends for the most part of the race the virgin still had a bit of a pace advantage but still 
Andre could keep up with him and that once again gives him my award for the driver of the day how about yours well i was surprised i really thought you were going to go for robin franz but then again a german going with a german driver so <laughs> then, yeah, that makes sense but right then so that means i thought i thought you were going to go for franz and then i'm probably going to go for lothra but i will go for franz then because i think franz did an amazing job i said yes i know he a little bit debatable about you know his move on Bohemi and so forth but to be fair he he and Lotterer both were fantastic. Um, they both mastered the conditions. They were they didn't really put a foot wrong when it started to rain. Um, you know, while others were tripping up over each other, those two were just consistently just putting in the lap times. So and for Franz to win with a dodgy front wing as well, um, I thought was just even more spectacular. So for me, definitely Robin. Um, for driver of the day, but Lotterer is also is also a fantastic um, a shout for for driver of the day. But I think you know I think we've done I think Dan um, not the well Dan should be proud of us. That's what I want to say. I think me and I think we've done a decent job. I think we've done him all right, Tobias. I he think should so be happy. Too, yeah. He should yeah. be happy. Yeah, he should be happy. We've with tried us. Our We've best. held the fort down. We've had some hmm. interest in the bait. Um, and, and we've done it so I just want to say thank you so much Tobias for coming on again I oh, know thank you for having um, me on and for being yeah, on as well. always, always a pleasure um, Monaco I will be in Monaco um, Tobias will you be in Monaco I don't have the money to be in Monaco no I won't be oh, <laughs> no. oh so I will be in Monaco so I will be there giving you so for the next podcast that we do after Monaco so Dan with um, it's unlikely that Dan will be back so he's doing his law exams at the moment um, student life and everything so it might be difficult so it will be me and Tobias again if not we're trying our best to get a guest but you know sometimes you know people are busy with lives and sometimes people can't come on <laughs> so if not it might, it might be someone with another brand new spanking guest to Take us through the Monaco Epre, but if not, you'll have to listen to the luscious, gorgeous tones <laughs> of myself and Tobias in in our Monaco podcast. But thank you so much for listening. Please remember to subscribe, um, like the video, uh, follow us on Twitter, and, and on yeah, Patreon just enjoy well. the content. Okay, give E Formel D. They do some amazing work. I know it's in German, but for our German listeners, and even if you're not German, you can translate. There's this beautiful thing called Google Translate, and it translates their articles. They do some amazing work. Um, Timo, Tobias, the gang over there do some amazing work. So please do give eFormLD a like, a follow, and just go check out their page because they're doing some amazing stuff. Okay, right. See you in Monaco. 